Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word. Thank you, John. You may be seated. I have the pleasure of introducing to you guys Pastor Jason Copeland from Cross Point Church. He's here to, to give the word today. Uh, he's preached here before. You may remember him. A couple years ago, he came. Uh, as you guys know, Leon is on sabbatical, so we've had uh, the great blessing of several of our partners, partner churches, pastors, taken the time away from their own church to come uh, preach to us. So we thank you for you. Uh, Pastor Copeland uh, is from the area. He, he went to Oakland University and went, then went to Southern Seminary uh, and then started and has been at Cross Point Church ever since and started in the youth ministry and now he's the associate pastor over there. So let's welcome him. God, our Father, we thank you for, for Pastor Copeland. Uh, we praise you for him, for his family, for them taking the, the time out of their schedule to come uh, give the word to us. We pray that you will use him uh, to preach to us and, and, and grow our heart of thankfulness, Lord. Uh, grow that in us today. Uh, remind us of who you are and what you've done, and give us that heart. Uh, open our hearts to hear your word today through Pastor Copeland. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I am glad to be here. I'm always uh, glad to be here. This is my second time speaking here, and then another time my wife and I, you know, you don't get a lot of weeks off when you're a pastor. You can't just go to other churches, but um, a few, few years ago we did come and worship with you guys when you were at another building and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I don't know I don't know all of you, but I, I know that everyone in here has a grandma or has had a grandma. Um, some of us know our grandmas, some of us don't know our grandmas, but at some point we had a grandma. My grandma could do something with her eyes that uh, I can't do. She could just communicate by looking at you. And by looking at you, you could know if there were cookies ready in the kitchen and that you should just go quietly before mom knows. Uh, she, would, she could look at you with eyes to let you know that what you're doing right now needs to stop quickly. And for some reason with grandma, I would stop a lot quicker than with my parents. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because that's how grandmas are. My grandma also had eyes that, that could tell you when it was time to say thank you just by looking. You know, she'd bring something into the room and you begin to devour a cookie and she'd give you a look. And so I would know right away, okay, I need to say thank you. That's what grandma could do. That was one of her superpowers. Grandmas have many 
superpowers. But this morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about being thankful. You know, a lot of times we think of that just one time out of the year, right? We think of thankfulness around Thanksgiving. We think about that, and we think about the lions, we think about the lions losing, and then we're not thankful anymore. We think about the season that we have upcoming, we're not excited about that. All right, but thankfulness is something that's not just isolated to one time of the year. It's not isolated to one idea or one period of life. Uh, it's for all of us. And so this passage that we read today or that was read for us, and thank you for that, highlights the importance of thankfulness. And what I want to do is begin at the end of the passage. It's not common to begin at the end, but let's do that. In verse 17 of uh, Luke chapter 17, it says, Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and praise to God and give praise to God except this foreigner? So Jesus does what Jesus does. He heals people. And he heals ten people and only one person returns to say thank you. And so we have here then in this passage both a warning and an illustration. And the first part is a warning. And the warning is this, that it's easy for us to forget to be thankful. Because by nature, we're not thankful people. By nature, we like to think about what you and I have been able to do on our own. We don't think about what others have done for us. We don't necessarily by nature give God the credit that we should give. Children, as beautiful and wonderful as they are, are not born giving thanks. They're born screaming because they want something. All right, And so by nature, at the very beginning, we're selfish. And that goes on. I mean, I have little children. I have four kids, uh, 13, 11, not eight, and five. I have to think about it. All right, and with the younger ones especially, I come, I'm always saying, what do we say? What do we say? You know, if, if you ever take your children any place where they're getting something, we go trick-or-treating or something like that, or trunks and treats, whatever it is, everyone we go to, what do you say? What do you say? You got to teach them to say thank you. And you know, I think and I wonder if sometimes God in heaven isn't thinking with each of us. What do you say? What should you be saying right now? I've given you your, your, your daily bread. What should you say? What do you say? And so often it has to be cultivated within us, just like with little children. Just like with little kids, we have to learn to say thank you. Here we have people who just haven't learned that, it seems. Or nine of them who are overwhelmed by what they got that they didn't feel like they could stop and say thank you. I don't know how it is for you, but the way in, in which uh, I go about my day, I feel like people say thank you less and less. You know, I try and teach my kids, hold the door for people, or I try and hold the door for people. So many people look at me like, that's your job. Like, I will hold the door for them, and they just walk right by. Like, of course you held the door for me. I have somewhere to be. I am very important. And we don't take time out to say thankful, to say that we're thankful. And on a very serious level, it's, it's hard, or rather, it's easy for us to go through our life without being thankful for what God has done. And we very subtly begin to believe, you know what? I do deserve this. I deserve good things. I don't have to be thankful. This is something that I worked for. This is something that I've done. And in a subtle kind of sinfulness, we begin with this pride of life where we begin to think, you know, we deserve our own salvation. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm good enough. I don't need God. I don't need God in this situation. That's why I love being here and hearing your prayer time because I'm hearing how people are thankful for teeth. I mean, that was wonderful. I'm hearing, uh, I'm hearing praying that everything will be okay at a house. Then I'm hearing everything's okay at a house and it's great. 
I'm hearing thankfulness. Don't let that fall aside. Stick with that. Thankfulness, though, is something that has to be cultivated. It has to be practiced. It has to be taught. My son, my oldest son, when he was learning uh, to throw a ball, that's a big thing with your first boy. You know, we got to throw this baseball. You want him to throw the baseball at five months, right? And so we're working on it. He's five, six years old. I can't remember. And uh, he's having a hard time because not catching the ball. And so uh, finally he catches the ball. And you know what he did? He took his mitt off. He set it down. And he, he's walking inside. I'm like, Jack, where, where are you going? We got to work at this. He's like, I'm done. I caught the ball. This is done, Dad. I don't have to worry about this anymore. And that's, I'm like, no, you do not. And if you saw him play baseball, you'd understand. All right, because that's how he kind of goes about it. But it's, it's like, no, it takes, a, it takes a consistent effort. It takes a cultivation. It takes practice. And thankfulness is the same way. We've got to work at that. We've got to work a lot better at that. Our culture is not a thankful culture, and so Christians should look different simply by saying thank you. Second thing is that this provides an illustration. Not only is this a warning, but it's an illustration. Luke records that one of these 10 men returns to offer thanks, and he identifies him as a Samaritan, and he makes note of that a number of times. Samaritans during this time are considered to be half-breeds. All right, they're thought of uh, by the religious community as, as uh, having embraced pagan religion. They're looked down upon. Jews look down upon Samaritans. And that ethnic makeup of this man makes his return even more unexpected. It makes it more instructive. Of all the people who would come back to give thanks, it wouldn't be this one. And then he does. So we're supposed to look at him with curiosity. We're supposed to say what makes this man understand this? What makes this man thankful? Why does he return? And then we have to take these observations and we have to hide them in our hearts so that we, as believers, can develop a heart of thankfulness. When the passage opens, we're told Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem and he enters a village and he's met by 10 men with serious skin diseases. It says leprosy in some translations. The idea is that it was a a kind of skin disease that was believed in many cases to be contagious. And in the Old Testament, it was very instructive. If you had one of these diseases, you had to stay outside of the city. You couldn't come in. They didn't want other people to catch it. There was this idea of what was holy and what was, what was not. And for some reason, God decided and understood, or the people understood that, that this, this leprosy would make them unclean. And if people were to come near, uh, then they had to tell other people. They had to say, I am unclean. A lot of times they tore their clothes. They wore ashes on their head. Everything about them indicated that they were people you were supposed to stay away from. And so we see that Jesus, as he's passing along, he enters into this village. He's met by 10 lepers. This may have been a village of lepers. We don't know. But we're told that they stood at a distance. And at a distance, they're yelling because that's the only way they can communicate. That's their life now. All right. And this is not in a life, obviously, no social media, no way to communicate to people. The only way you communicate to people is verbally. And so they're yelling. And they're yelling to Jesus. They're crying out to him. And they're determined to get to him. And we read here, they're lifting up their voices and they're saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us, which is interesting because it becomes clear here that they're familiar. They at least know a little bit about Jesus. Just by being here today, you have some familiarity most likely of Jesus, even just the name. You might have just wandered in here. You might have smelled the aroma of coffee or something and wandered in. I don't know. But most people have a familiarity in word, at least, with the name Jesus. 
They have this familiarity, but then they call him master. It may have been that these men had followed Jesus, were followers of him, but when they contracted these, this disease, had to separate themselves even from that community. And so they cry out. And there's a very personal nature to their request. And that reminds us that thankfulness at its root is personal. Thankfulness is personal. Now, there are, there are obviously things that all of us can be thankful for just in general and things that people communicate thankfulness about just in general. We are on just a great, uh, you know, a, a great track record right now of the weather. It's just been beautiful. Uh, it's great. Uh, we just got back from a vacation, my family, where we traveled. Everywhere we went, nice weather. So we can all be thankful for the weather. We can be thankful for the sunshine, for the rain. We can be thankful for all of these things. But then there are things that are very personal for each of you that you would communicate thankfulness for. If we were to pass these yellow cards out again and say, write something that you personally are thankful for, and you began to really think about that and even meditate on what can you be thankful for that God has done for you, you would come up with things. And they would be things that would be personal to you. There are people in this room who've seen healing in their families. Some of you have gotten the job that you've prayed for. Relationships have been restored. Maybe you've prayed for someone to come to Christ and they have. Things that happen that are of an intense personal nature. And for these men, the blessing that comes in this passage is of the most personal nature because they have a distinct understanding of their need for restoration. They knew that they needed to be restored. Every morning they would wake up outside of the city. And every morning that they wake up away from their families and away from their homes, they're reminded of their need for restoration. Every day that they go by without physical touch, without a community around them, without being able to embrace a child or a loved one, they wanted to be made whole. And so their need for restoration is incredibly personal and it points towards our needs because like these lepers, we need someone to come and make us whole. We need someone to look at us and say, you're right, you're not whole. You need something. You need to be restored. And we need someone to begin restoring our hearts and our relationship with God. So what Jesus does for these men in a physical sense is what he does for us in a spiritual sense. On a personal level, you might not need physical restoration, but on a spiritual level, every single one of us does. Younger people don't sense necessarily the need for physical restoration. I turned 40 two weeks ago. And so while I was on vacation with my brother, that's when you always do dumb things, when you're with your brother and you're older, uh, his daughter had a skateboard. And I said, let me see that, right? I, I know a trick. When you only know one trick on a skateboard, you know nothing. And you shouldn't try that trick ever. And I tried that trick and it worked. I landed on the skateboard and then it took off. And then I landed on my arm. I thought I broke my arm. I looked like the biggest idiot around town. I've turned 40 for two days and what do I do? I break my arm. That's what I'm thinking in my head. Because I'm a worst case scenario person. I don't know how you are. I'm going to have to explain this. I, I preach at a church. I'm going to have my arm like this. People, what's happened? I always would want a good story. I fought a bear, you know? I fell on a skateboard two days after I turned 40 because I'm an idiot. That would have been the story. All right, when you're young, and now my body hurts, my arm hurts. That's where I was going with this. All right, when you're, as you start to, to get older, you become acutely aware of your need for physical restoration. Right, my father had double knee replacement because he needed restoration. When you're young, you don't necessarily have that. You, some of you, a lot of you are young in here. 
And so you might, my body's fine. I don't need any kind of physical restoration, but you need heart restoration. You need spiritual restoration. Every one of us need that. And from time to time, it seems like we may find ourselves in a funk where it becomes hard to be thankful. Things are going wrong. Things aren't working the way that we expect them to. Our family is struggling. Uh, you know, we don't want to be alone, and, and, and we are. We, we work at a job that just seems to drain us. We're overwhelmed as a single parent. Our bodies are breaking down. And in all of these things, in times of loss and in times of hardship, it can become hard to be thankful. But when we remember that like these lepers, we were in need of a spiritual restoration, and that's what God does for us through Christ, then no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we have an opportunity and a place to be thankful because we have the greatest reason to be thankful. And so let me ask you this morning, do we see collectively our need for restoration? Do you you understand the truth of the gospel the truth of of who Jesus is, what he's done, and why it matters, that without him, you could not have a right relationship with God. There uh, There are always things that we can find on a daily basis to be thankful for, but this understanding that Jesus Christ died for us so that we would not be dead in our sin, the Bible says, so that we would not have to give an account for ourselves. So that one day when God says, why should you be here with me? We wouldn't have to say, well, here's what I've done. Instead, we can point to Jesus. He's restored us. That gives us the opportunity to be thankful in any and every situation. Your life is probably hard. Everybody's life feels hard. But as Christians in this country, we experience a freedom that isn't experienced by other people in other parts of the world. I'm reminded of the church in China, the early rain covenant church, where their pastor has been in jail since December. And no one really knows where he is. Yet if you talk to those people, they're thankful. They're not thankful their pastor's in jail. They're not thankful that the government is ready to to knock down their doors to their church or come into their homes or carry off the men and women, the leaders. They're not thankful for those things. They're thankful that they've been restored that no matter what is going on, they still have Jesus. And that's where our thankfulness begins. You know, after these men cry out to Jesus in this deeply personal way, we see that Jesus responds to them and he says, go and show yourself to the priest, which sounds on the surface like what a parent says sometimes. Kids come to me as go talk to your mom. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what, go, go over there. Go talk to the priest. But that's not what he's saying. He's not passing the buck. The the ceremonial law of the Jewish faith of that time was that the priest had the obligation and the duty to exclude or admit people back into the family, back into the community. So the priest would look at you and would say, yes, you do have this skin disease. You have to go outside of the city. And if you felt like you were better, you would go to the priest and the priest would say, you know what? You are better. Come on back. Or you thought you were and you aren't. You're still out. So Jesus is telling them to go see the priest. Go to the priest, show themselves to the priest. And this is something that someone who was cured would do, but they're not cured. Jesus tells them to go before he cures them. This is not an easy thing to do either. It's not like they would hop in a car. It's not like they would jump on the bus. It's not like they would do whatever. They would have to walk. 
And it's a ways to where the priest would go. He's putting their faith to the test by saying, listen, I want you to act like you're cured right now. I want you to get up and I want you to go. And this action reminds us that thankfulness is expressed in obedience. For this man, it was an expression of their faith or their hope or in in that that they obeyed what Jesus told them to do. They listened to him. The men had a number of options, right? They could have just looked at him like he was crazy. Like, I can clearly still see this skin disease on my arm. Why would I go? I thought Jesus knew what he was talking about. Now I'm pretty sure he's crazy. They might have looked at it as inconvenient. It's a long way. I'm going to go all that way. I still have this problem. They're probably going to laugh at me as I walk through. And then I'm going to have to turn around and walk back. I don't want to do that. They might have thought it's impossible. You can't just tell me to go. I mean, you, don't you have something to, to give me? I'm sure someone somewhere was selling something, right, that would make it better, and you're not doing anything for me. But yet we read that they start to go. They go to the priest. There may have been doubt in their mind. We don't know. It doesn't tell us in here. But they obeyed, and they followed Jesus. And that is a mark of a follower of Christ, is that we obey And this obedience is rooted in a heart of thankfulness. This is one of the differing factors from Christianity and the other religions that you will find of the time and of this time. In in most places, when you obey in a different religion, you're obeying out of fear. You're obeying out of an attempt to coerce. You're obeying maybe out of an attempt to manipulate the God that you're following. But in Christianity, we don't obey to manipulate God. we, We don't think that, oh, hey, if I do enough good things, God's gonna give me what I want. That's that's not in the Bible. I don't read that anywhere, all right? Does God reward us? Does God bless those who follow? Yes, but it doesn't mean that your life's gonna be perfect. We read the book of Job. That's clearly not the case. All right, we don't, we don't obey or shouldn't obey God out of fear. God's not sitting up there with lightning pointing out of one finger, just waiting for you, right? I'm waiting for him to make, I mean, that's how I feel like as a parent sometimes. I'm watching, right? I'm watching you one more step. Now I'm telling you, I'm, yeah, okay, boom, <laughs> Yeah, boom, I'm gonna try that and see if it works, okay? And if it does, I'll call you because I, that, I need something, all right? But that's not how God's up there, right? And that's not why we obey. We don't obey to try and stay away from that. We don't, we don't obey because we're afraid. We, we don't obey because we're trying to get God's attention. We obey because we're thankful and we obey because we love and we obey because he loves, And we obey because he's restored. When I was a teacher, former teacher right there, okay? When I was a teacher, I had students, and there are ways to get students to do what you say. You can rule with an iron fist, swing around things, make crazy threats that you can't follow through on, and just hope they never figure it out. Or you can try and create an environment where they know that they're loved and cared for and respected and you can see them begin to obey and listen and follow your directions because they respect you because they know that when you say something that's what you're going to do because they have faith that you're going to show up tomorrow and they begin to listen I follow Jesus I listen to God because I believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do I have that faith I obey because he shows up and he keeps showing up. And when times are hard in my life, he shows up. When times are good in my life, he's there. When I don't know what to do, he's there. And I obey 
out of a sense of thankfulness. And these men listened and they obeyed. Do we listen? Do we listen to Jesus? A lot of times we just want the good stuff. We want the restoration. Make me better, but I don't want to get up and go. Make me better, but I don't want to do what's difficult. It was hard for these men. They could have just sat there and lounged and said, give me what I want. Give me what I need, but I don't want to do. I don't want to go. The Christian life makes huge demands on us. We don't want to make it out like following Jesus is easy because it isn't. It requires all of you. It requires all of us to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice so that when an enemy comes against us, we love them. That's what Jesus says. Love your enemies, not get back at them, not lie in wait for them, but love them and pray that they will experience the same kind of restoration that you found. Are we willing to do what he says even when we might not expect the result that we're hoping for? Or are we willing to follow what scripture teaches is right on all sorts of issues as to how we live with our neighbors, as to how we live in relationship with other people, the honesty that we, sh- we are to show? It's so, so common for someone to say to me, I know I'm supposed to be honest, but you don't understand. And I stop them right there. I say, I don't think you understand. I know life's hard. I know in your job, honesty doesn't always pay, but life is not about your job. Life is not about your career. You're called to follow Christ. You're called to listen to Jesus. These men did that. And it leads then to this final aspect of thankfulness that we see in this passage. Thankfulness is public. We get specific into what the returning leper did. He doesn't go directly to the priest. You know, he's on his way there and when he sees that he's been healed, he turns around, he makes a beeline for Jesus so that he can offer thanks. I I wonder sometimes what I would have done and here's why. I'm a rule follower. You know, Jesus said, go to the priest. So I feel like I would have just kept going. I don't know. But this man here is overwhelmed by his desire to be thankful. He has this irresistible emotion of gratitude because he was once cut off and now he's made whole. He was once set aside and now he's restored and he cannot help but get to Jesus. He cannot help but publicly be thankful for what is going on. And so we look, look at how he returns. It says he's praising God and falling on his face. He returns loudly praising God, falling on his face. He's got a loud voice. And this is not a culture where you responded with a loud voice very often. It's not a culture where you yelled. You know who yelled? Lepers yelled. This man isn't a leper anymore, but he's overcome by a desire to be thankful that he's shouting at Jesus. He's screaming as he can get closer to him. He knows that his healing has come. He's seen it from the hand of God in this situation and he wants Jesus to know. But then we read that he's loudly praising God because he wants other people to know what's happened as well. He wants other people to understand. And in this aspect, we see an important concept of thankfulness, that it, it, it's all of us. He falls on his face. His entire body is involved in this act of thankfulness. When we're giving thanks, that's all of you, all of who you are. So we are thankful with our words. We're thankful with our actions. We're thankful with the gifts that God has given us. 
We're thankful with the finances that God entrusts with us. We're thankful with the resources that God gives us. We're thankful with the intellect that God has granted you. We're thankful with the employment that we may or may not have. We're thankful with the family that we are are gifted to raise. We're thankful with the family that we have been given. All of these things, we're thankful. We're thankful with everything that we have. We lay it down and we say, God, you have restored me. I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And we sang about that. But you have given your love away. And so everything we have is involved in this act of thankfulness so that we go about our lives now, not with this thought that, well, this is mine. It's not yours. It's God's. And when we're thankful, we're thankful for everything and we're thankful with everything. There was once a story, and I've heard it a number of times, and so I I looked it up because I don't like sharing stories that aren't real. And I think this is a real one. There was a boy named Bobby, and he was poor. Came from a, a poor but devout family. Bobby came to believe in Jesus. And sometimes after that, Bobby came to know who Christ was, the, an offering was taken up in his little church. And Bobby's 13, 14 by this time. He has nothing to give. And so when the offering plate comes around, he wants to make a, a public act of thankfulness. And so he asked the usher to put the plate on the ground, which was strange for that church. Didn't usually put the plate on the ground. And he said, I have nothing to give, but God my, to give to God but myself. And he steps onto the plate. He steps into the offering plate as, a, as evidence or as a picture that he was willing to lay him, his whole self down out of thankfulness for what God has done. He was willing to give of his entire being. And he meant it. As Bobby got older, he became a gardener and an apprentice in his community. He learned to love that work. And in his later teen years, he began to feel a pull towards missionary work. And Bobby grew up and spent 52 years then on the mission field. He was in South Africa and other South African countries helping to translate the Bible and helping people to understand about gardening. He translated the entire Bible and the book Pilgrim's Progress into the tribal languages of the area. He became a great encouragement to the church. And he did this because he was thankful. Thankfulness, true thankfulness that changes our hearts leads us to do big things. It leads us to set aside ourselves and follow after Christ in a public way. And so let me ask you, do you look for opportunities, public opportunities to thank God? Do you look for these things? I'm not just talking about thanking God for lunch at work or something like that, but that might be a start. Maybe where you're at, you do need to bow your head in prayer before you eat your lunch. Maybe that's just the beginning. So that people begin to know there's, a, there, there's a, something about that person. And when you're out to lunch with someone, you say, do you mind if I just pray over our food real quick? And you give a prayer of thanks. That's a first step. Maybe when someone comes up to you and congratulates you on something, you use that opportunity to deflect away from you and point it back to the Lord. Maybe you have those opportunities where you're able to do that. Now, you want to be careful in how you do those things. You want to do them in a, in, a, in a winsome and in a good way, I think. I like watching sports, and sometimes people will thank God, and I'm like, mm, I don't know. 
I don't know about that. I grew up at a Christian school, and we prayed that God would help us win every basketball game, and we didn't pray well because we never won. And so we could, I, I, I always kind of laugh when people are like, well, God wanted us to win. Well, there's believers probably on that other team too. So I don't know about that. But thanking God for the ability that he's given to you. Thanking God for the opportunity that you have. When someone says it's a good, good for you, good for, well, I'm, I'm glad God has, God has helped me. God has been here with me. You know, God has seen me through. When people look, at, we can go to the opposite. What about when life is hard? One thing I have noticed is that when people grieve, when Christians grieve, it becomes a wonderful witnessing opportunity because people don't know what to do when Christians grieve. Uh, un- unbelievers do not understand. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I'll preach at funerals a, a lot, but I'm also in a community, right? I also have a lot of friends who aren't believers, and I have found that amongst Christians, you don't necessarily joke about death, but you talk about death in a different way. You talk about death with a hope. And so my unbelieving friends do not know what to do when I, when I laugh, laugh, not laugh, but talk about death with hope. You know, I'll say, well, I've got a funeral to do today. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. They don't know how to handle that. They're like, this guy's weird. And so I have an opportunity to say, listen, this person, they knew, they knew Jesus. They knew the Lord. I know where they're at. They know where they're at. They're in a much better place than this. And it becomes an opportunity, right, as I experience and express the thankfulness that I had to have been with this person to point to them and use that as an opportunity. We need to look for opportunities to be thankful. And let me ask you this. Do other people know that we're thankful for Jesus? Do people know that? That has been a, a, an encouragement or rather a, a focus in my own life. I will be honest with you. I like to sometimes just be Jason. I don't like to be Pastor Jason. It's weird at Kroger when people yell across the thing, Pastor Jason. People look, there's one here. Where's he at? You know, maybe he... Maybe he knows what watermelon's good. I don't know. I try because, because people's language change, right? If, you, if you're somewhere and they know you take Jesus seriously, their language changes. People want to tell you, everyone they know who's religious. You know, I have an uncle who's religious. Oh, good. That's good. All of these things. And so there's a part of me that likes to fly under the radar. Maybe at your job, maybe at your life, maybe at the school your kids go to, maybe in your neighborhood, you want to fly under the radar to a point. The picture that we have of godly thankfulness is of a man who didn't fly beneath the radar. He flew right over that thing. He's screaming. His face is down on the ground. Anyone with an earshot knows that this guy's thankful. And I'm not suggesting, please don't hear me, that you be loud. It's not about being loud. It's not about you quieting the lunchroom down at school so you can pray. It's not about you sitting other people down at a restaurant and say, I'm going to pray now. It's not about that. It's about you being loud with your life. It's about people understanding and knowing that, yeah, you are thankful for what God has done. And it starts small and it works its way up. Maybe you just need to let people know where you were today. Maybe people wonder, where does he go every Sunday? Where, where is she going this, this early in the morning? Why aren't they around? You say, well, I go to church. I go to Mac Avenue Community Church because I love Jesus, because Jesus has changed my life. Thankfulness is one way that we can proclaim the truth of Jesus to those around us. Will you pray with me? 
Father in heaven, we can't begin to number the blessings that you have given to us. Even in those days where it feels like uh, we are not in a place to be thankful, where it feels like we've lost, where it feels hard, where our bodies are breaking down, where our lives seem to be spinning out of control, where we feel like we don't have a handle on what's going on. Even in those times, we know that through Jesus Christ, we've been restored. And so for that reason, we have an opportunity to be thankful in all that we do. You have blessed us, God, in so many ways. And for that, we say hallelujah. For that, we raise our hands. For that, we, we say thank you. We, we bow down. We stand together. We proclaim your greatness. You've restored us. You've made us right in Jesus Christ. And as we continue to worship here this morning, may our hearts be marked by a thankfulness. And may we have a desire to make your greatness known. May we be thankful for the little things in life as well as the big things. And may we honor you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.